0: Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from The Ville Church. To find out more about us or our weekly scheduled services, please visit TheVille.Church. Last week we kicked off the uh, sermon series, and so we're inside of Lent, A Journey to the Cross. And for Lent, a lot of y'all are fasting right now. Um, You know, the word says don't let anybody know you're fasting, so, you know, don't try to look pitiful and stuff or whatever, whatever you're fasting, you know. And so, but, um, so we're in this series and as we take this journey, so basically Lynn is going to take us 40 days up right before Easter. And, um, and so as a church, we've kind of jumped into this fast cause we want to just kind of prepare our hearts as we take this long walk towards Easter and look at, um, just the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we want to be fully sober as we take that in and let it do a work as we consecrate our heart before the Lord. So, we, we, what we're doing with the sermon series is we're taking different topics, like we're going to be hitting humility, we're going to be hitting suffering, stuff for you to kind of just chew on while you're in the middle of this um, fast and so forth. So, this week, we're on repentance. Don't get too excited about that, but we're on repentance. Um, you know, this is uh, one of them sermons. Fellas, make sure you hit the clock back there for me. This is one of those sermons, I feel like I say this to you every week, but like, chill out, homie, All right. They got names. But anyway, so it's one of those sermons where like, for me, it doesn't work with writing sermons where I just go jump in front of a computer and I'm like, yeah, I got this topic. You know what I'm saying? I'm foolish enough to try that all the time, but it's like, it's almost like God likes to crush it up out of me. You know what I mean? So I went to the coffee shop and I was about to work on this. I was like, repentance. All right. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna do this, you know? I sat there for like the whole day, couldn't get nothing out. And then I went home, and I'm like, God, what's going on? And I just was like weeping all day long or whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? My kids were like, Dad, are you crying? I'm like, man, you crying, man. You know what I'm saying? It's pollen's crazy out here. And, 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 it, and it's just this thing caught up in my heart concerning this. And so I just felt like God brought me back to him. And I was like, God, like, all right, I'm trying to get out what I'm trying to say about repentance. But, Lord, what would you have me to say this morning? Um, And so I just pray that he helps me to kind of communicate this this morning because I feel like it's in me, but it's still stuck in me. So I just need the power of the spirit to kind of say it to you this morning. But if there's one thing that I feel like God is screaming right now to the church, like if he if he could scream to the church, I think the first thing he would scream is he would say, I love you. I think he would scream. I love you first and foremost. Then I think the next thing he would scream is repent. That's what I think he would say. I'm going to talk generally this morning concerning the church, and then I'm probably going to hit some stuff on an individual level. But we all are the church. We all make up the church. We're all living stones that make up the building and the body of the church. So bring this on home and and, and work out your salvation as you're hearing this word this morning. Um, Most of y'all know we do the Ville uh, radio show, and we just did one this Saturday. And we've been talking through. This topic of how millennials are leaving the church by the droves, like 59% of millennials raised in the church are leaving the church right now. And I think the statistic is 2 out of 10 actually feel like the church is harmful. And so we did the first two shows. We had millennials on the show discussing it, and it got pretty amped about how they felt about the church being led and all these different things. And then this past show from this weekend, um, we had a pastor from, um, I think he's from First Press, but he's definitely from, is that First Press downtown? Yeah, he's from First Press. His name is Robert uh, Morris, and uh, he came in because we wanted to get a baby boomer and a Gen Xer on the panel. You know, since all the millennials was you know talking trash and all that. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, just to let you know. Shirky sure, didn't call me out on the radio show. I try to blend in with the millennials, but all these grades in the beard and ain't, it ain't just, it's just ratting on me right now. So, but you know, when I was talking to Pastor uh, Morris on the show, I don't—I didn't know him. Just to be real, like I don't—I didn't know him and. um and so I was like, all right, he's about to come on the show. But, you know, I'm trying to size him up a little bit. I'm trying to see how these topics are going to fall on him. Because I, like, I don't mind a little mess starting on the radio show. Like, you know, we can we could do that, whatever. But I'm like, let me see where my man is at, whatever. But straight off the bat, I asked him, I said, yo, what do you think is the problem? Like, with the church and this, and this divide with millennials. And he says, um, he says, the church... Has in so many things, in, in so many things, it's become more concerned with being an organization than it has the people. You know what I'm saying? And so, when he said it, I was like, yes. And here's the thing: I was looking, like I said, I'm, I'm peeping my man out because I got see he had on khakis. You know, and you know when you see people in khakis, you got to make sure you kind of check them, roll up on them for a minute, make sure they're good to go. You know, especially if they start and they got the line, you got to make sure you got to make sure they're good. But my man was solid, right? And so when he said it, I could see it in his face. He said it with a bit of pain, and he said it with a bit of disdain in his heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like it hurt. It's like he knew it was sin. You get where I'm coming from? And he said, like, this is, like, he said it like this is a travesty. It's a problem. Um, and so I was like, Yeah. I wanted to see that because sometimes I feel like I talk about this, and I feel like some people almost try to quiet us down, like chill out and everything or whatever. You're going too hard at the church, or you're going too hard at this. But you have to understand, like we pastor church. We're having a conversation from the table. We're not having it from outside the building throwing rocks at it. Like the church is precious to the Lord, right? The Bible says that the church is, 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 is the bride of Christ. So... I just want everybody to know when we have these conversations and we say this stuff like that, yo, know, we're saying it because we care for the church, because we're upset at how we see things happening. Like we as pastors are having to come together and talk about it and repent ourselves and look in the mirror. Like we're not talking like we're outside of this. We're in it. And it's like, how do we how do we go forward? You get where I'm coming from? And so some people are like, hey, man, you know, you need to chill out. I feel like y'all are trying to like cut the cut the, the church's throat. I'm like, homie, y'all asleep. The church is throw bin cut. We're trying to get the we're trying to fix it back up. You get where I'm coming from? You know what I'm saying? And so, and, and that's not to say the church is gonna take a L because can't nobody do anything about what God is gonna do through the church. Nobody can stop the church, period. But he cares for the bride. And he and, and like I said. Before he screams, repent, he, re- he screams, I love you. So he loves the church, cherishes the church. Y'all get where I'm coming from? But well, we have some stuff we need to deal with, and we need, the way we need to deal with it is repentance. So I just want to walk you through that. Sin. Charles Spurgeon describes sin as this. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. John Piper describes it as this. He says, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and all our obedience. I want to read something to you. It's Isaiah 30, right? I'm going to jump through this kind of funny or whatever. I'm not going to read everything. But a lot of times I like to go back to the Old Testament because um, I like to, I feel like we get to see God's character and his personality in the Old Testament in a lot of ways and um, how he deals with the people or whatever, right? So he says this, which is horrifying. When, when God is on his, his wrath, gangster tip, it's not a good day. You feel me? You don't want to be on the other side of that. Discussion, But listen to this right here. Verse nine, Isaiah 30 says this. He says, for these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave this way, get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Basically saying, you're wearing me out with all that God talk. You heard somebody say that before? It says, therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found. For taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. As he tells them all of that, listen to what he he comes to right here. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it, right? So basically what he's saying that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of strife, in the middle of all our pride, in the middle of our arrogance, our self-righteous denial, in the middle of God, I don't even want to hear what you got to say, all right? In our middle of our whole fight to to, to, to erect our whole legacy of our name, in the middle of all of that stuff, God is actually there saying, repent. And if you repent, there's actually peace for you, right? When he says, repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength he's basically saying don't trust in yourself like the way to peace is actually letting go of you and grabbing on to me repenting trusting in my way I told you last week and I think I told you the week before when you make your list of enemies always make sure you're number one on the list because you're going to cut your own throat before anybody else ever gets to it so if you're going to be paranoid about something be paranoid about you because your sin is the thing that's going to get you, all right? But God is saying it don't have to be like that. Repent. I got rest for you, all right? I got peace for you. Now, I'm going to jump to verse 18, because this is how, this is crazy to me, because you see this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. Like, it's it's, it's schizo almost, but it's beautiful how the Lord rolls, right? So check this out. He hits him with the serious threats. I didn't even read the rest of the stuff or whatever, but he's coming at them on some crazy stuff. Like, you know, I thought he was going to say, like, I'm going to cut your head off and dangle it and play juggle with it or something. But he didn't go there. But he basically, you know, he alluded to it. But whatever. I don't want to misconstrue the word. All right. Verse 18 says this. He says, all of a sudden, he just hits this. yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. But the Lord is a God of justice. Bless are all who wait for him. So it's like in the middle of saying like, I'm going to smash you to nothing. I'm going to smash you to nothing for your wickedness and your sin. And he's very descriptive. He's like, yo, your wickedness is disgusting. It's so foul that you're like, literally like, tell me lies because I don't want to even hear the truth. I want to revel in my sin. You ever been there before? I've been there before. Where I know God is like, you need to come repent. I'm like, I'm actually enjoying myself. (laughs) You never been there before? Foul. Make sure you realize that. Think through it real quick. Have you ever been there before? You need to know it. Because when you read these scriptures, you don't need to be like, man, them people were jacked up back then. No, you're jacked up right now. This is you right now. You think for a minute, you'll find it in your own heart. But look how he rolls. He's like a reluctant father, right? I do this all the time with my kids. I be like, oh, yo, man, when I get home, when I get home, I'm coming with the belt. Like, you going to get it, yo. You going to get it. Alana, where your spoon at? That big cake spoon. Where's that? You know what I'm saying? I just take that joint and put it out on the counter. Like, when they go into school with their book, I'm like, get your book back. They just walk by, like, terrified. You know what I'm saying? And then when it's the end of the day, I come home, and I'm like, Boom. And then I'm in the room like, son, I love you too. I love you. all want the best for you. Actually, I've been sitting too. We need to repent and pray together. You get where I'm coming from? He's a reluctant father. He's like, yo, I'm going to give it to you, man. But he's like, you know how it go. Moms, you know how it is. Dad's in the room handling business. Y'all be like, chill on him. Don't calm down. My mom didn't used to do that. She didn't do it. My father wasn't around. She was no chill. She was like, You about to die. And she meant it. And it happened. And I needed it. Thank God for it. For real. But you get where I'm coming from. You get where I'm coming from? Yo, he's a merciful, good God. That's so beautiful. You know, I want you to see this because while we're in this season and we're talking about consecrating ourselves to God, oh, his, his, the throne room is wide open. It's wide open. You're able to come in there and be a mess. Look at these people he's talking to. Foul. But he's still like, yo, I desire to give you mercy and grace. I desire to lavish you with my love. You feel where I'm coming from? That's our father, right? I want to read this to you. This is Romans 2.1. Uh, he says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment to the same thing. Judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, listen to this statement right here. Verse 4, he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, right? So like when I sit with my son and I'm like, and I'm giving him a pass, but I'm walking him through what grace looks like. And I'm walking him through the fact that your son, you're actually guilty. I'm bringing the truth to him. You actually did that. That was wrong to do to your sister. That was hurtful. Would you like someone to do that to you? No, I wouldn't. Son, you deserve a spanking for that. I'm not going to spank you, though. Actually, you know what? I have a situation, too, where I just did the same thing you did. I need to come. We, we need to repent together, actually. We in the same boat right now. You good you know where I'm coming from? I try, to, I try to let them know, like, I need the same God that we're talking about. I'm trying to point you to. But that's on another note. But, man. I mean for him to take that opportunity to search his heart and use it to actually lean to something better. You get where I'm coming from? I'll tell you when I did spank him one time, though, when I heard him, t- like, telling his sister, like, yo, he'll never be spanking the kid, though, anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, he's talking all that mess or whatever. I was outside the room, like, oh, word, belt sliding off while I'm listening, like, oh, word, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, okay, okay, like. Yo, man, he was on that stubbornness or whatever. Let me stop talking about him. That's my man or whatever. I love him. God wants to reveal his glory, but our unrepentant hearts stand in the way. Right? That's what he says, right? He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself in the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So in between God's glory being revealed to us, his kindness, all of this stuff being lavished on us are our unrepentant hearts. They block the way of the Lord in our lives. He, it, the, you know, the scripture we just said before, like he actually desires to bring goodness to you, right? But it's in trust, it's in patience. It says in repentance and in quietness, that's what it tells us, in trust in your strength. Like if you sit and you wait on the hand of the Lord, it's going to always play out and be beautiful. You get where I'm coming from? Like you may be in a situation where you're in a hard circumstance and you need to trust the Lord in the moment and it hurts. But I guarantee you, it's going to always come up strong. He's God. You get where I'm coming from? Not that he's going to always give you what you want, but his thing is way beautiful than you can ever imagine for yourself. And, and, and standing in between that is our unrepentant hearts. We don't want to do that. All right. Matthew 3. Let me read this to you. Start right, right from the beginning says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So John comes in straight off the bat. He's hitting him with the repent straight off the bat. And he's actually saying, he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, God's kingdom, the goodness of God, is ready to be revealed to you. And in between that, holding it up, standing in the way, is your repentance. Y'all get where I'm coming from? I'm trying to make this super simple for you. And then it says... For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, listen to this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All right. So what he's saying right there, when he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He's saying, get everything out of the Lord's way. The kingdom is coming and repent of everything you put before the Lord. That keeps him from being able to come through with what he's coming through with, which is nothing but goodness. Y'all with me? So in the Bible it talks about there's a there's 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 a scripture where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and he says, Woe unto you Pharisees and scribes, because you shut up the doors of heaven. Do you get where I'm coming from? In other words, if we're trying to get to this door right now, he's saying, Yo, you take all of these man-made laws and all of this stuff, and you actually put it all before the door and make obstacle courses and keep people from getting to me. When I need the path straight. And my path, all it says is repent. Turn from your sin. And the kingdom of heaven is yours. There's no, hey, if you complete this part on the obstacle course or whatever. You know what I'm saying? This isn't an American Ninja and all that. And you can get across the water thing. And he's just like, yo, it's repentance. That's it. Make the path straight. He's saying to us, get your la- get the credibility you give yourself to be good. Get it out of my way. Do you get where I'm coming from? Stop trusting yourself. Humble yourselves because you are making it to where you ever dealt with somebody or whatever, and you need to tell them about themselves. But, like, they got, like, a, you can't get to it because it's, like, it's just hard. Like, you know they're not trying to hear it. You know, you, you know, if... Like, this is a problem, but if I mention this and say something about it, this thing's about to go off the hook. That's what God is like when he's dealing with us, rationing with our, our hard hearts. You get where I'm coming from? So he's like, yo, get it out the way. Make the path straight. It's a beautiful thing. He has nothing but goodness for us, so why would we block it up? It's because we have idols in our life, things that we actually trust in more than God. All right? And I'm, and I'm saying that word, and I'm using a strong word like idol, because that's the word bi- the Bible used. But it's, we need to know it's that. It's wickedness and it's sin. Sometimes we give this stuff too many soft words. We're like, yeah, I just have a little bit of blindness in this area. We're like, no, you actually, uh, I, I messed up. You actually messed up. You actually, you know, just, you know, walking through this stuff or whatever, trying to get my heart. Just a couple little funny things. Like, no, it's foul. People hate you on the low because you, you, you're nasty with it, man. I'm trying to tell you. You know what I'm saying? We all got things like that. There's stuff that I do in my family that I am nonchalant about. I went to d- dinner with my with lunch with my daughter the other day, and she just went through a straight whole jerk list. Like, I was like, mm-hmm, okay. Mm. You want some more to drink? Anything? Okay. She's like, and then you do this right here, and i will not be liking this. I was like, okay, okay, okay. All right. Blind, yo. Sinful. You see me already trying it? I'm blind. No, I'm sinful, selfish, wrong. My heart deceives me so much that I could be hurting somebody I love so much and not even catch that it's happening. You get where I'm coming from? So my best foot going forward is to actually remove all my credibility and start saying, babe, did I say that in the right way? I felt like a little twinge like that came out. There's a little twinge to it. I'm sorry I did that. You get where I'm coming from? I need to remove my credibility out of the way. That's what God is calling us to do. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. That's what John is saying to everybody. Get all your crazy stuff, all your mysticism, everything else or whatever, all your cliche phrases. We're like, the Lord knows my heart. Shut up. (laughs) He knows my heart. No, he, he knows your heart is wicked. You don't know your heart. Get that joint out the way and make the path clear so we can get to this good stuff. You feel me? Verse 4 says this. It said, now John wore a a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Some of that, y'all are fasting. This is what y'all are eating right now. Um, (laughs) It says uh, some of y'all had a locust sandwich this morning with some wild honey on it, for real. Hey, but I got to keep it real. I don't mean to be racist. I'm going to hit you how my white friends in the church say, I don't mean to sound racist or nothing. All right. But on the series, though, some of my white friends in here, when I, when I go to your crib, you do be eating, eating, like, locusts and honey and stuff, though, for real. You know what I'm saying? But y'all put some Nutella on it and stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? But I ain't going to front. I like it, though. I like it. Hey, look, this is a side story or whatever, right? So we went, we went to, like, a couple of us, like, went to the, um, to the YMCA the other day or whatever. And so we're at the YC, YMCA, and uh, Sarah was there and Chantel and everybody, and they're in there all the time. And so they were like, yo, they are like, man. They're like, Jay, are you good? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you ain't like they're like, we're gonna go walk or whatever. You cool, because it's my first time or whatever. I was like, yeah, I'm good to go. You know what I'm saying? And, and like I'm thinking, like, why they like keep checking on me or whatever? And you know, you know, I kind of felt like some of the white people were standing. I had my deaf t-shirt on and all that. So they're just like, this brother looks scary and all that. And so I didn't know why they're asking, but I had my LaCroix with me, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, yo, I'm good. I got the LaCroix joint. Like all white people know, when you got the LaCroix can, we good. Like we're up, like y'all could go. Y'all might need me to help y'all out. Like, what y'all want. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Y'all playing. I'm just playing with y'all. All All right. But I'm not playing. I'm dead serious. I had that LaCroix. I was walking the machine. I was like. (laughs) Anybody look at me for? I was like. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm going to stop. All right. So, verse (laughs) 5. God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, right? So he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You ever heard somebody say the phrase, I can't do anything without you? You ever heard that phrase before? Or you ever said that to God, like when you're worshiping him? That phrase is the same thing as saying I can do everything with you. And so when he's talking about bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he's talking about this idea of the Christian life being a continuous walk of repentance that bears fruit. Right. Let me so let me give you an example of how this looks for me personally sometimes. I wake up in the morning sometimes and depending on wherever I land at, I kind of walk out the door and I try to walk out with this brokenness that says, Lord, I can't do anything without you, right? And when I make the, when I'm in my head, I'm actually talking about my sin and the sin of myself because I'm not giving myself credibility so I know that I need to go to war when I leave the crib, right? So I start in a broken place. So if I'm out during the day, and I see a chick looking good, and my eye starts to wonder, right? I'm sorry to disappoint you. Your pastor's a, per- a human, and he-, and he sins. So I need Jesus, the same Jesus I'm preaching about. So I'm going to use this example. So if, my, if, my, if, if I'm, I'm starting my morning my, already mourning about my sin, Lord, I can't do anything without you. My heart is wretched. So I already know a couple hours later if I'm rolling through wherever, and I'm wow. Girlfriend looks good. In my mind, whoa, I just caught a glance, but now I'm thinking about the wrong thing, right? You know how sin plays the game. But what I mean by waking up going, God, I can't do anything without you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, when, I, when that moment comes, I'm trying to land there already broken and disgusted about my sin. Because I'm already hurt for how it's hurting God, so I actually don't want to take another sip of it. You get where I'm coming from? So, but here's the thing the same exact statement. I can do everything through him, right? It's the same exact statement. It's just a different position in how you look at it. The other one is kind of a broken stance, but it still has a complete dependency on God. The other one is a courageous stance, like I can do everything with God, and so sometimes I'll walk around like that, ready to punch the devil in the head. But either one, I go back and forth on it. You get where I'm coming from, and it's not schizophrenic, and it's not saying different things. It's not a double-minded man. It's a man who's saying, "I need God all the time, on the up times and the bad times." Right. So when I'm walking in it, I get to bear the fruit of, uh, uh, you know, the I need to bear fruit through repentance as I'm walking throughout the day. You understand what I'm saying? Because here's the thing: this is what you need to know. You are a sinner. If you're a Christian. You are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, but your flesh is sinful. It produces the fruit of goodness as you trust in the Lord and not trust in yourself. You get where I'm coming from? We've done church for too long where we're like, let's walk around with the mask and act like we got it all together. The millennials leaving out the church because they're sick of the game. They see what it is. It's like, man, y'all insult my intelligence. I'm watching how y'all move. And it's not even that they wouldn't forgive, but we ain't repenting. It'd be one thing if they looked at our mess and saw us, and we were like, yeah, we're having a hard time figuring this out. Or, man, I was messed up how I did you on that, whatever. Like, I repent for it. Man, God, got grace. Let's keep it moving. But when we go to, like, my, like, like, like Pastor uh, Moore said, when we go to playing the organizational games and esteem them higher than loving the humans in front of us, it's not going to turn out so well. You get where I'm coming from? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, I was with a brother this week, and he's a white brother, and um, he says to me, he starts telling me a story about his, uh, him confronting his father about his racism. And, you know, a fine story, nothing, he didn't say anything wrong at all. And I was proud of him for even taking the stance to say it. And he was just like, yo, you're blind on some things. And he went into the details. He was like, have you ever talked to these people you're talking about? No. This guy, the side of town you're saying this stuff about, you ever been there? No. So he's going through the stuff, right? Well, later on that night, it was just a conversation, but later on that night, I'm at home and I start thinking about this stuff. And I started thinking to myself, man, what does it look like for that man? Going through his workday, I start thinking about seeing my mom struggle as a single mother, single mother, dealing with all type of racism and being treated as less than human, right? And I'm like, well, man, this guy's blind to some things. We call it blindness. We but I'm like, man, what is what does it look like for his patience and tolerance level when it comes to people of different race? When it comes to um, giving somebody a higher position at the job, how does this blindness that we're talking about, how does it play out? And as I'm thinking through this stuff, it caught the wrong place in my heart. It sent me to a really, really bad place. It's almost, tr- it's just, it's traumatic. I'm going in time. I'm going through as a kid watching some things happen. And this mo- this particular moment, which was a just a simple conversation, and it wasn't bad, it was actually edifying and encouraging to hear this person take a stance, right, and, and, and stand up for what was right, even to a family member. I applaud them for that, but it still landed in a certain way, and the enemy started working through it. You get where I'm coming from? So I went to my, I was on my backyard, I was sitting on the porch late at night, and I felt it hitting me hard. And so... I started praying, and I said, God, I need you to save me right now. I need you to save me because this thing that's in my heart, this sin, this thing that I have in here or whatever, that is willing to actually make somebody be a monster, even though I know my sin is before you, is is monstrous, but I just can't see my sin right now, but I'm thinking all type of things about this person and these people. I had to say, God, come save me. I had to remove my credibility in my own mind to think that I'm thinking soberly and go, this doesn't sound like you, Lord. And this sounds super dangerous because I can't come inside of this church and play a game with you and preach to you and act like everything's all good with that type of thing in my heart. So in the moment, I found an a, a opportunity, or God graced me with an opportunity, let's say that, because I had to ask him to say me, to see him in a whole different light. And to show me my sin in that whole situation. And to show me how to extend mercy and show me how to extend grace, right? But I had to repent when I was sitting there. Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. I get to show up today and preach to you without awe in my heart and hatred in my heart. Because I had to repent. Do you get where I'm coming from? This is how repentance bears fruit. With us looking in the light. With us removing our credibility and going... Because you sound like you make sense when, you, when you're mad. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You argue with your spouse or whatever, whoever, a friend, anything else, you swear you'd be, like, just dropping the craziest stuff. You'd be like, when I came through, I came back, and I put it in, I flipped it back, and then I just sat it there, and you didn't do nothing with it. And then you, like, and then you want to walk out. And then you're out. And they're sitting there, like, what the, do I, did I pick it up? What, what happened? Like, when you sat it, then you came back, and you took the top and flipped it, and then it was all, and then that's it. Well." Okay, um, I think I'm sorry. You can't even repent in truth. That's not even a real apology. <laughs> and it just gets stupid. It gets stupid. It gets stupid. True repentance bears fruit, all right? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. When we, when, we, when we don't repent, it's because we actually have an idol that is more precious to us than God. And a lot of times it's our self-righteousness, period. It's usually what it is, right? I want to read this to you. It's Luke 5, Uh, 5, verse 27. It says this. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, is it, is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't saying that somebody was righteous. He's saying that forgiveness and repentance is actually for people who know that they're sinners. Right. So this is this is not a nod that some are righteous. It's more of a statement because he's talking to he's talking to Pharisees and everybody here. So he's it's really saying like you are deceived. You actually think you're good. You think you're righteous. So this repentance isn't for you. You're not being granted it from the father or whatever, because in between what's between this good stuff that these sinners about to grab is that you won't come up and say that you're a sinner. Right. But everything's about to, the kingdom's about to be laid right there for them because they walk in as sinners. We talked about it the other week. The sinner who comes in, the, who, the, the Pharisee who comes to the temple and goes, thank you, Lord. I pay my tithes. I do this or whatever. I help the poor and I give and all that. And then he's like, get out of my face, man. I don't even know you. But then you have the tax collector who's supposed to be the scum of the earth to everybody. But he walks in beating on his chest. He said, God, I'm a, I'm a low-down sinner. And he says, you're justified, Right? He moved everything out the way. He made the path straight. He came in. I am the reproach. I'm the disgusting thing, Lord. I'm the thing that's a foul stench before you. And so God just lavishes them back with beautiful stuff. You get where I'm coming from? We have a hard time seeing who we are. Um, the Bible says, it talks about the Pharisees. It says they wash the outside of the cup and they neglect the inside. Right? That's, that's, that's a lot of times how we function. We get everything cute on the outside, but we don't deal with what's going on on the inside. So we have all these foolish quarrels and everything with church, like, oh, my God, you went there, you shouldn't be there, whatever, and this and that, da-da, whatever. Like, I thought you were fasting. You messed up? I just saw you. Don't, don't even, I saw you at Billy Bob's around the corner with a freaking rib in your mouth. Stop lying to me. I saw you, Shirley. Like, don't try it. And we're just condemning ourselves with absolute foolishness, straight up. You know what I'm saying? Like foolishness. Like are you serious? How about we get on each other about loving each other for real? About checking on our neighbor inside of the church. How about that? How about we how about we talk about how we don't grieve enough for the people hurting outside of our door? Cuz we're allowed to. You don't have to talk you don't have to be getting it right to talk about it. It's fine to come before the Lord and talk about how you're horrible at it. It's fine. The door is open for repentance. He loves to lavish us with it, for walking the light with it, right? If we took the weightier matters of the moral law, if if we would, we we tend to, um, we tend to the weightier matters of the moral law. If we did, we would be convinced of our sin more. Do you get where I'm coming from? If we would put our efforts towards these heavier things, justice, love, and what they really look like. If we talk about esteeming our neighbors higher than ourselves, if we really took that serious, because the word takes it serious, we find out how powerless we are and how wretched and how selfish we really are. You get where I'm coming from? I talked to a man last night, whatever, that he just got married and everything, and he was telling me about that first year of marriage. He was like, boy, this, oh, my God, like, I can't believe it. And he was just like, I don't know what to do. This joke is crazy. And I was like, You're finding out how selfish and greedy you are, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, like you've taken on a really noble, amazing thing, but it's also, it's going to shine a light on it. You'll be all right. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He's cool with you being that way. He knew you were that way when he died for you on the cross. A repentant church is a woke church. You feel me? A repentant church is a powerful church. People always say, man, Jay, like we really like this church because it feels like it's very real. And I really appreciate that. But, like, the, um, the fact of the matter is that's something that God has just graced this church with as a gift. Pastors and your leaders up here are just as fake as the next person. That's it. The only thing that we have faith in is the cross and Jesus and coming and repenting. That's, that's the only hope we have. There's, else it just turns into plastic church and we'll play the game and put the face on. But if we're going to do this the way God calls us to do he, he's called us to walk in the light. You get what I'm saying? And and when it's hard, he's called us to call on him for his power. And he's faithful. And he'll do it. Um, and that just is what that is. I want to read something else to you really quick. It's 1 Timothy 2. Let me tell you this real quick, too. So I, I, I might have actually told you all this story before, but a couple years ago... Um, Couple Christmases ago, um, this is one of my thug stories, by the way, whatever. So, you always I tell you all these old stories. Some people like them. Some people like, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to, you know, you delete me. Um, Did you shoot a, Shoot the person? What's? I didn't get the part of the story. Um, anyway, but the uh, my cousin a couple years ago. Um, I have one little cousin or whatever that he's like he, he he I think he's in prison somewhere now, but he's a big drug dealer, and he um he sent my other cousin who was working with them on this deal. And my cousin, it was Christmas actually, my cousin ends up getting kidnapped by these other guys. And so my cousin gets kidnapped. My uncle is on the phone. Um, you know, he, the police are involved in everything and they and they're trying to do the deal or whatever, and these guys are like, you know, we want a ransom, you know, like, they wanted close to $100,000 for my cousin, and they have him on the phone, they're torturing him, burning him with cigarettes, all that stuff, and it's some old straight movie stuff, you get what I'm coming from, and um, so the police tell my uncle, they're like, listen, don't give these people the money, because they're going to kill your son anyway, and my uncle, God bless his soul, he, um, he was like, nah, man, I can't, I can't Go to sleep at night knowing that I could have given them the money and didn't give them the money. I'd rather give them the money and let them take the money and know that I tried. So he ends up giving them the money. He pays the ransom and he actually dropped my cousin off somewhere in the woods somewhere. And, um, and it's absolutely crazy. Um, but let me read the scripture to you. I'll bring it back to that in a minute. All right. So First Timothy two says first of all then i urge that supplication prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are high in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to to and, and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and there is one mediator between God and all men. And listen to this right here. It says, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know, a lot of us are in this place where the devil has us held hostage, very much like my cousin's situation. And there's no hope. This is our, this is our, this is our position as human beings on this earth. We are born into sin. That's what the Bible tells us. So there's no, there's no scenario and there's no story where you actually wiggle out of this, this particular thing that I'm talking about, right? Let me, tell, let, me, let me take back what I said originally, too. I said some of us, I mean all of us, are in this position where we are trapped by the, by the bondage of sin which separates us from God, right? And so when God comes and his kingdom comes, it came in the form of a ransom, his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Like it says in the word, it says he's the ransom for all. So my cousin, he couldn't cut a check, couldn't get himself out of that position. We as sinners, there's what can we possibly do to free ourselves? What, there's, no, there's no working, there's no good works we can do. There's nothing at all that we can actually do to earn favor to, with God. There's nothing that we can do to break the spell of this sickness that we are in. That's why people who truly have met the Lord, that's why we we savor him so much, because when you've been locked in the chamber of death and then God brings you into his marvelous light. A bad day is not like a bad day used to be. You get where I'm coming from? Matter of fact, your worst day is better than your old good days. Because your position where you're at with the king is, 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 is one thing to be going through something outside of the kingdom. Because you're hopeless. It's another thing to be within the kingdom going through things. And knowing that they actually work for your goodness to build you up for his glory. You get where I'm coming from? This is like the can't lose side of the game. You understand what I'm saying? But like if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. What I'm trying to say to you is that he's the ransom. If you're like trapped in stuff and I know that you're fully awake. On what that is. Because there's never been a scenario where people, the Bible tells us that people know. They know in the depths of their soul. God just rigged something up in us. They may be fighting through the theology and all these things or whatever, but we know that we are missing something. And I don't care how much money you got, whatever you, you can't fill this hole of emptiness we have inside of us. You simply can't. Man, I ran from it for years. And I had the money and all the other stuff or whatever, and I just couldn't do nothing about it. I'm like, God, why do I have everything, and I feel like I'm still suffocating? Why do I, I'm working hard every single day trying to get somewhere and do something and do this, and it feels like nothingness. It's because the one who made us, the one who put purpose, who has purpose for our life, who has a, a path for us, that he, it's a work that he's called us to, when you disconnect it from him, it just doesn't go well at all. It just doesn't go well at all. He's calling us to repent. He's calling us to repent as a church. He's calling us to repent as a people. And if you're on the side of not being a believer at all, God is calling you to simply repent. There's not other stuff in the way. The path is made straight. I want to make it straight for you this morning. There's nothing in the way of it. There's there's not a scenario where you need to get this stuff together for God. I used to sit in the crowd of a church and hear them talk about coming to Jesus. And I used to be like, all right, all right, cool, cool. This sounds good, man. You know what I'm saying? But I got this little drug habit thing. I'm going to get that together and come back, and then I'm ready to roll. Couldn't never get it together. God already got it together through his son. He already paid the ransom, and he was just saying, just come. The path is made straight. Just come. That's it. That's it. Jesus Christ is king. He's paid the debt for us. And that's for us functionally every day as believers right now. As we're in this time of Lent right now. Do not turn your back when God is calling you to repent during the season because he, he desires to lavish you with his love. Do you understand that? He's already done it through his son, Jesus, but he wants to walk with you. And so if you're in that place where you just got this thing kind of held up from God and you're kind of moving and grooving and kind of like, I think I'm kind of good. yo, get all run to him, fall at his feet. You understand where I'm coming from? Y'all stand real quick. We're going to pray really fast.